morning is from the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. When God began to create the heavens and the earth, the earth was complete chaos, and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that light the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. During the Advent season, the church prepares for the coming of Christ. And as we prepare for a baby to be born humbly in a, in a manger in a small town called Bethlehem, the things in the scriptures explored during Advent take us beyond the birth, life, death, and resurrection. Advent takes us to the very beginning of the story. Would God sow chaos and breathe the word into it, saying, let there be light, and the light shined in the darkness, and God said, that is good. Oh, it's a story. A story that's been tried to be turned into science or reduced to a joke about apples and snakes and marriage, but this is neither a science nor a joke. It's a beautiful story about each and every one of our lives. It's a story about confession. It's a story that reminds us that there is chaos in this world. The story reminds us it's chaos in our lives. But this story also reminds us that God calls us all to a vacation. Not just any job. But God calls us all to participate with God in God's kingdom. Advent reminds us of just how far we have wandered away from this call. And thus, how far we have wandered from God. Advent, then, is a season of watching and praying. Not passively, but both with lament and with hope. Lament, reflecting on how far we have wandered, and hope that God will once again hover over all the chaos and breathe a word, inviting us to join God once again as God not only heals this broken and vulnerable world, but heals our broken and vulnerable souls.
Our second reading is Isaiah 40, verses 1 through 8. Comfort, O comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that she has served her term and that her penalty is paid, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries out, in the wilderness prepare the way the Lord makes straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all the flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice cries, a, a voice says, Cry out, and I said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass. Their constancy is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows upon it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. The church was packed. For Robert's funeral, a pastor friend of mine recalls, he died suddenly at the age of 40 of a rare early abnormality. One week, he was a project coordinator for our Habitat for Humanity House, offering a prayer at our session meeting and chairing our social justice committee. And then on Monday at 2 p.m., was dead. And now we gathered in vast numbers for his funeral. I sat in a chair on the chancel, looking at the first pew where I saw his parents and his two kids. Jenny, 12 years old, and her brother Ben, 10. His wife had succumbed to breast cancer three years before. We fought our way through the liturgy, defending our hearts against the grief. I remember raising my eyebrow when we said the 23rd Psalm as we recited the line, I shall not want. I wondered, is that correct? We were all in want of Robert. Each of us was in want for a parent for those two kids. The church was filled with his friends, his family, and brothers and sisters in Christ who worked beside him in the church most of his life. Robert's friends offered the first two eulogies. They said the kind of things that were expected for them to be said. They talked about how successful he was at work as well as at home as a husband, a father, and then a single parent and a leader of the church. They expressed how much we all would miss him. It was a third eulogy for which we were none of us were prepared for. It was given by his 12-year-old daughter, Jenny. I can still her, see her standing there beside the microphone with her weeping grandparents standing behind her. Jenny reached into her pocket and pulled out a loose-leaf paper, and she began to read, Thank you all for being here today to wish my father well on his way to heaven. I wanted you to know a couple of things that Ben and I are going to miss about our dad. In spite of the fact that he worked, he was always home when we got there after school. 
and we would run into his arms and he would give us just the biggest hug, we're going to miss that. At the end of the night, we would race upstairs. And then he would read us a story and make us say our prayers. We're going to miss that too. And she folded a loose leaf paper and sat down. The soloist began to sing, Jesus, lover of my soul, let me to thy bosom fly. As I remained in that chancel seat, I looked over at the congregation. I was amazed at how powerful music is to pierce through every wall that we have built to defend our hearts. Safety to the haven, God, the tenor sang. Oh, receive me to my rest at last. Now it was my turn to speak. Only I couldn't speak. And no one else was there volunteering to go to that microphone, so we just sat there in silence for quite a while. Eventually, I had to walk to that pulpit because that was my job. I was the one who was supposed to proclaim a holy word, a word that could break into any silence. But what I remember most of all about that funeral three decades ago is the power of that silent chaos. We've all experienced that chaos before. We all know it. It's the same kind of silence that you find in cemeteries or in that nursing homes late at night. It's the silence that fills the house when a child has a dangerously high fever or when someone comes home and finds that note on the dresser that says, I have left you because I never loved you. It's the same kind of silence that you find when you discover that Christmas stocking of somebody who just recently died. The silence that you feel when you hang up the phone and the doctor says, the lab reports have just come in. It's not good. To be clear, the silence is not a welcome respite from our noisy lives. This is a threatening silence, one that rips away at our cheap words, the one that dares us to say anything at all. It's a silence born of news that stops our heart. A friend confides in you. I had to tell someone about this. My brother, my brother committed suicide last weekend, and we stammer and say, I'm sorry. I don't know what to say. In this chaos, that's the only thing to say, because it's clear in that moment there are no human words that are any better. No human words that can adequately fill the silence. Advent prepares us for such moments. Eighteen killed in a bowling alley on a random Saturday afternoon. Hamas swooping in into a music festival, killing a mass of people, and then entering into homes, pulling people out, separating families. Bomb after bomb after bomb after bomb have left no hospitals for a baby to be born.
The world appears has drifted so far from God. And in silence, we look up to God and ask, what do you say, God? What word do you have for us, God, that will break our silent chaos? Reading from 2 Peter, chapter 1, verses 16 through 21. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we have been eyewitnesses to his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father, when that voice was conveyed to him by the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, my Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice come from heaven while we were with him in the holy mountain. So we have the prophetic message more fully confirmed. You will do well to be attentive to this as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. First of all, you must understand this, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation because no prophecy ever came by human will, 
but men and women, moved by the Holy Spirit, spoke from God. The proclamation of the gospel, the proclamation of Advent is yes, 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 absolutely yes. There is a word for us to respond back, but that word we need cannot be any word. We need something more than a merely a words on a piece of paper. This has to be a word that was with God and was God, the word from the very beginning, the word that had the ability to look over all the chaos and say, let there be. Let there be sparkling beauty and light. We need a word that will enter into our chaos. The chaos of this world, the chaos of our lives, and take it on with us. And Peter says to you and to me, I know that word. I was with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration when heaven surrounded this in holiness. And we heard the heavens proclaim, this is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. I was there, Peter excitedly affirms. I saw it. And it would appear to you uh, like the morning star that rises in our hearts. That morning star is that first star that pierces the darkness, signaling the coming of the dawn. The morning star that rises in our heart is the star that all humanity is yearning to see, that star that led that magi to journey across the desert in search for a word. And whether we know it or not, our heart is yearning for that same exploration. It's the yearning that Advent reveals, bringing us back to a community of faith year after year after year.
Our fourth reading comes from John 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. That what has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overtake it. The decorations are up. The shopping has begun, and the music is playing. My friends, it is Advent. It's time of the year that we cook for our friends. We, we buy presents for our loved ones, our, offer charity for the needy, but there lies perhaps the underlying problem. These are good jesters, warm-hearted jesters, loving and admirable jesters, but as one recently said, pointed out that they don't go to the heart of the problem. You get a gift for your dad, yet the strife lies still between the two of you. You, you hustle to create a, a wonderful space, space of hospitality for your loved ones, yet you never actually had that meaningful conversation you long for with that loved one. You make a fine gesture for charity. But the poor continues to be our strangers. Poor is a fine word, but it doesn't dismantle resentment. It doesn't overcome misunderstandings. It doesn't deal with estrangement, or nor does it overcome loneliness. Most importantly, for isn't the way that God celebrates Christmas. God did not set the world right at Christmas. God doesn't shower us with gifts for us. God doesn't mount blessings for us and then become miserable and pout. When we open them up, fail to get excited, forget to use them, or seem ungrateful. Much to our chagrin, God teaches us at Advent, four will not break into the chaos. What Advent tells us year after year after year is that God speaks a different word. This that this world uh, does at Christmas time, where this world may speak to us for God says to you and to me and to this world, Emmanuel. The angel said to Joseph, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. John's gospel is even more direct. The Word became flesh and lived with us, reminding us Advent does not take us back to the beginning. Takes us, reminds us Advent does take us back to the very beginning. The Word was with God. He was in the beginning with God. Without Him, not one thing came into being. Before anything else, there was with between God and the Word, or what we like to say, between the Father and the Son. But this relationship that God establishes with us does not end at Christmas time. 
Jesus reminds us at the end of Matthew, I will be with you until the end of the ages. In Revelation, describes those at the end of the ages like this, Behold, the home of God is with mortals. He will dwell with them as their God. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them. Advent has never been about us doing for others. That's the language of chaos. Advent prepares us to be saved from that silent chaos by bringing us back with each other, back with God. Emmanuel. Let us pray. O Holy One, you have promised us that the day of our salvation is near. As we wait on the, the word, keep us faithful in love and watchful in prayer so that we may stand with confidence and joy at the coming of Christ. And as we wait, Lord, we give you thanks for the breaking, that chaotic silence of this world. In gratitude, we offer our gifts this morning, whether it be our time or our talents or our money. Use these gifts in preparing us to receive your word. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.